Welcome to the Countertop Success Podcast, a show created to inspire countertop fabricators and installers to build a thriving countertop business. I'm your host, Stephen Alberts, the founder of the Countertop Marketing Company, the number one digital marketing agency for the countertop industry. On each episode, I'm going to dive into tips and strategies that you can follow to help grow your countertop company. And we'll also talk to leading experts in the industry on how they found success in their countertop business. Welcome to another episode of the Countertop Success Podcast. Today, we have an awesome guest, Ed Young from fabricatorscoach.com. We're going to talk about ways to help uh, to find help and employees for your fabrication shop. Thanks for joining us today, Ed. Stephen, uh, it's, uh, it's an honor to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, I'm excited to talk today. And I got some really good information and tips. So why don't we start off by you know, telling us a little bit about your business? You know, how did you start? How long you've been in business, experience in the industry and all of that? Early in my career, I cut my teeth as an industrial engineer in textiles. And okay. the reason that's that's pertinent is that it kind of gave me the mentality for improving processes, gave me a lot of the skills to do that. And that's been a really core part of what I've done throughout my, my career. I've worked in a number of positions in various industries over the years. Okay. I've run manufacturing plants. I've done turnarounds. Uh, and I've done uh, consulting and coaching uh, in a lot of different uh, plants, probably in hundreds of plants since about the mid-90s. My first uh, countertop client was a little over 20 years ago. Okay. Um, another organization took me into that client. And then the results that came out of that were so good. That organization took them to DuPont. In about 0203, they started the DuPont program where DuPont took the work that we did and wanted us to go into their larger shops you know, around the country. Uh, since then, I've worked in a couple of dozen fab shops or ran a shop for a few years. Okay. Uh, also worked in, in other industries as well. So it's really a broad manufacturing background, but I really like this industry. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great industry. What I've, you know, we've been, we're a marketing company. We work with fabrication shops, countertop companies. And what I've learned over the years, it's, it's kind of like a family, you know, it's, it's, you know, uh, a lot of people that know each other and just, just good bonds and, um, people helping each other out. So that's what I really love about the industry myself. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. I, um, yeah, I've worked for large corporations. I've consulted, you know, some internationally with large companies, but I really like organizations the size of a typical countertop shop in that three, four, five, six million dollar a year range. It, okay. it is, as you say, it's very family oriented. It's a lot yeah. of fun. And, and I like it from a coaching standpoint, because if I can sit down with the owner and agree on a course of action, we can make things happen today, you know, and yeah. I can see the difference that we're making in that owner's life and the lives of the people that work there. And that's the kind of stuff gets me out of bed the more. It's a lot of yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. No, it's fantastic. So yeah, let's let's jump into today's topic here. So labor issues, you know, it's a it's a problem out there. We see it with some of our clients, you know, just just hiring, um, finding help. So, you know. Let me know your thoughts on some of the current issues that you see in the stone industry. Well, unfortunately, the stone industry is not unique in these challenges. Um, it's, it's like everywhere else. I mean, I, in the past year, I've worked with a couple of quarries. I've worked with a cabinet shop. Uh, about a year ago, I was wrapping up a project with Ryobi, reshoring some production from Southeast Asia. And they all got the same challenge is, is finding people. And then when they do uh, hire them, keeping them. 
is, yep. is the challenge. Uh, I mean, it's just brutal. People, uh, stories on top of stories about, you know, they hire somebody, they come into work this morning, they went went out for first break and they disappeared, never came back, you know, or they went to lunch and yep. now they're gone, you know, and it's uh, um, it, it's really, really a big challenge. And this one of the things I'm coming to realize and some of the research that I'm doing is unfortunately, I don't think this is a temporary situation. I think with changing demographics, aging baby boomers, birth rates, that kind of thing, I think we're in this for the long haul. I think the pandemic, you know, just like the working remote, you know, shift, yeah. I think the pandemic has just kind of helped accelerate this trend. And now we're having to fundamentally, as business owners, fundamentally rethink how we recruit employees and how we train them. Because training them is going to be a real key part of this. Uh, we can't we can't do what we've done in the past. We've got to look at things differently. Yeah, yeah, no, good points there for sure. I mean, it's uh, like you said, it's tough because you have to kind of rethink the way that you're doing business. But in the same, at the same time, you need that help now. So it's it's uh, you know, it, it's not an easy thing for the business owner for a manager to to find help and and just you know get the help that they need so now it's not like they got nothing else to do either i mean you know exactly yeah yeah right (laughs) yeah no for sure i i talked with a uh a business owner and they i think they were using one of the recruiting sites out there i know we'll talk about some ways in a second but they they he said you know half my day is is and that he might not be managing his business the best but he said half my day is trying to you know i'm on these sites looking at uh, applications, getting back to people. And it's, you know, it's, it's not an easy task. So it takes, takes a lot of time and effort. Now, what are some typical ways um, to recruit? Like what, what tips can you give there? Well, I mean, a lot of the, the typical ways are, are what you described with that business owner you were talking about. You go on Indeed, you go on LinkedIn, yeah. you know, that type of thing. And, and he's right. It can take a lot of time. In fact, in the last year, I've probably got at least a half a dozen companies. In fact, I just talked to a new one this morning where people, now I'm, I'm typically, people don't usually ask me to help find, you know, like polishers or CNC operators. It's usually a yeah. production supervisor, production manager, uh, helped find a, a general manager for a $15 million fabricator last year. Uh, so kind of the gamut, but, you know, you've got your typical online re- re- uh, recruiting processes. I think one of the keys there is, is writing I worked with a client last year who just really has a different approach to business and the, the nature of the ad, the really upbeat nature and asking questions up front. Are you the type of person that likes to do this? Do you like this kind of environment? Would you want to work in a place like this? And then start talking about the requirements kind of catches people's eyes. So I think that's, that's worth doing. Um, But you know, they're they're just, you've got those typical online sites, your uh, state department of labor is going to have a job board, you know, employment, workforce people, uh, and of course, tempt to hire. Surprised today that people are not, how how many companies don't offer referral bonuses. Okay. You've got good people working for you. Yeah. They've got friends and relatives. Yeah. Some of them worth hiring, some aren't, but you know, it's the classic, okay, if you refer you know, Bob or Sue to come in and work and, and we, we interview them, we hire them and we keep them and they stay for 90 days. We'll give you a hundred bucks, 200 bucks, 300 bucks, whatever that is. Those referral bonuses get your people involved in helping you solve that problem. And you're not in this by yourself, which is, is a nice improvement right there. 
Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. That's uh, that's some great tips, and and I like the 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 referral bonus for sure. Um, but the the also the other thing that you said was you know talking about culture a little bit first rather than um, diving into the some some of the other stuff is is uh, is nice for for someone that's looking for a job. It's like oh, you hear about the culture and and to see if you're a good fit there. Um, again, it's just I feel like usually it's reversed. Um, where you just get into like the skill set and all that, and then the culture. So that that's a good tip. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, you know, a lot of a lot of ads I see don't even speak to culture at all. And I think culture is, I mean, if we're talking about countertop fabrication, it's not rocket science. So, yeah. uh, and and you're competing with lots of lots of other folks. Everybody knows. You know, we're not telling anybody anything new here. The things you do to set yourself apart, to differentiate yourself, just like you're selling a customer or why they should buy from you instead of the shop down the street. It's the same thing for employees now. That's part of that looking at things a little differently that I mentioned early on is uh, I think that culture is going to be part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Not for sure. And that's a good tip. So now what about, I thought you had a good um, out of the box way to recruit uh, a tip to, to share with us. Yeah. um, It's something I've I've done a few times and I've had some clients who've done it uh, successfully as well. Part of this is, is thinking a little differently. We're trying to hire people who've got experience in our industry, and, and that's not always easy to do. In fact, it can be very, very difficult in this industry. But think about jobs that are similar to, you know, jobs that you have. A typical entry-level position in a, in a countertop shop is polisher, your hand polisher. Yep. Well, what other jobs that you see out in the rest of the world are kind of like that? Well, your automotive detailers, you know, people doing detail work at a full-service car wash, that kind of thing. So what I like to recommend to folks is, is um, keep some nice, crisp $20 bills in your pocket and a few yep. business cards. And when you run across somebody, let's say you go ahead your car detail and you watch, you know, the guy with the polisher, he's handling that buffer well, paying attention. He's got a good work ethic, you know, and, and think, okay, first, you got to have a good elevator pitch. Why would that person want to change jobs? Why would he want to come work for you? You need to be able to tell them that. You know, benefits, work environment, overtime, whatever you want to pitch. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But take your business card, wrap it in that crisp $20 bill, walk up, introduce yourself, and say, hey, you know, I've been watching you work. I really appreciate paying attention to what you're doing or whatever compliments you want to give them. And give them that business card with the $20 bill. Give them that elevator pitch, that 10 to 15 second reasonings for why they may want to come look at your shop. And say, look, if you decide you want to make a change, I'd love to talk to you. Here's my card. Yeah. And if they decide they want to look around a little bit, they'll give you a call. You can yeah. Count on that. Yeah. No, that's a that's a fantastic tip because you're you're kind of like so. With again, we're a marketing company, a little bit different. But when we hire, we we make them do something special on the application when submitting it. So maybe it says that the sky include the sky is blue today, like anything, just something out of the ordinary. So we know that they can follow instructions and that's kind of the first step um, to even just for us to review the application. But what you're saying is you're kind of watching them work a little bit, which is, which is tough to do when you're just hiring people online or where you put an ad out there, but you're getting to see some real world experience and there's nothing better than that. Right. I mean, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah, if you, you know, let's say you need somebody um, that's a, a clerical position, a scheduler or customer service rep uh, in your front office, for example. You know, as we as we go into big box stores or we go into other businesses, you're going to run across people who do yeah. their job. 
and who have their, their handling environment somewhat similar to what you need. They're not necessarily in your business, but they're doing a good job, you know, working with folks. Same thing, you know, business card, $20 bill, your elevator pitch, you're going to find some good people. I've uh, when I owned my own business, my own brick and mortar business. I, I did that kind of thing a lot. I, I made a point when I walked into stores, walked into other businesses, notice who's working well, who's got good skill sets, who's who really seems to be on top of things. And I would would try to, to make a, a contact with them doing this type of thing so that I could hire them into my business. Yeah. Yeah. Not great. Great information. That's a great tip. So what about some, we kind of talked about some tips when filling positions in the fab shop, but what about even like using um, state department labor programs in your efforts when recruiting? Yeah, I think you've got to look at at a lot of different places. Um, I've got some more details in this in my article on fabricatorscoach.com. The title of the article is having trouble finding good help these days. So if I don't cover all those, you can go there some more of that. But I think one of the first things is, you know, when you're in a business this size, you know, a typical countertop fab shop is about three or four million dollars in sales. I think that's like the industry average for the U.S. And most of the owners I've met, you know, got into this business, you know, by accident. Some of them intentionally start off two guys, a grinder and a pickup truck, you know, and, and now they've got 20, 30, 40 employees. And in, as you grow organically like that, you don't have things like job descriptions, job expectations, pay grades. So before you even go out and use traditional or non-traditional sources, having that structure in place is really important. Yeah. Um, the, the shop that I ran, I mean, it was it was common until we got it straightened out. The owner gave out raises when he finally had enough people hitting him up as he walked through the place saying they needed a raise. And whether it had been six months since he'd done a pay increase or a year and a half, it was the amount of noise, squeaky wheel gets the grease, you know, and so putting together performance evaluation and those that type of structure really makes a big difference in terms of the, the structure people walk into. It's part of that cultural thing again. Yeah. Um, but when you start looking at, at other sources, you know, state programs and that sort of thing, if you've got that structure in place, which I think is a great first step, um, one of the things our state does, they take the vocational rehabilitation department, voc rehab. And they will, that department will go in and find nonviolent ex-offenders who are on parole or on early release. And a lot of times the condition of those programs is that you can get that early release or get on parole as long as you keep a job. Okay. Finding a job's not hard, but keeping that job's a challenge. So Voc Rehab mm-hmm. teaches them what clothes are appropriate to wear to work. How do you have a conversation and not get in a fight? You know, those basic square one life skills. And then our state also has about a six-week program run through the technical colleges that teaches people how to work in a manufacturing plant, a little forklift operation, a little problem solving, some quality, some maintenance, you know, that kind of thing, uh, good communication skills. And so that's a, we've got a kind of a feeder system set up. And okay. other states that I have worked in with clients, they've all got some variation of that. Uh, you go to community colleges, go to technical schools, uh, look for these programs and um, talk with them about, you know, what do they have going on? And some will be better than others. I mean, I've hit some states where the Department of Labor, some of these community colleges or, or classic government employees, they, they have no clue. Yeah. You know, they don't know what you're dealing with. But it's, you got to go ask those questions. In fact, I've actually recommended to, to some clients to get together with, you know, because when, when you live and work in a community, you know other people who own businesses they're having similar problems. If your community college is not giving you what you need, your technical school isn't giving you what you need, 
get a few business owners together, go over there, talk to the person in charge and say, look, we need to get this straightened out. We need to, and we, we want to help you. Um, I was running a structural steel plant one time. We had the same problem. We need welders, we need draftsmen. Our local community college had those programs, but they were, they were horrible. We wouldn't yeah. hire anybody that came out of them. So I, you know, we went over to him and said, look, I've got X number of positions open. If you can give me qualified candidates, here's how many I'll hire, here's where I'll pay them. And in order to do that, what I want to do is I want to come in and review your welding program. I want to help put together a curriculum. I want to help select the instructor and I want to put together the testing. And I guarantee you, you know, anybody who passes through this, I'll hire them to do this. And, and we did that. Yeah, no, that's a great and, idea. And so those kind of, that's part of that thinking differently about how you get employees, how you get people that you need. I think we've got to get more involved these days. We've got to go find what's out there. If it's not sufficient, find a way to help make it better because yeah. that's what we need. Uh, I'm a big micro fan, you know, the dirty jobs guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, we, we've got to start doing things to make manufacturing stronger in this in this country. And, and I think that we all, each one of us has a role in that. Yeah, no, that's, uh, I love that. Uh, what you were talking about going into the technical colleges and and kind of talking to the administration and, and that, that's a great idea. I mean, you know, getting talent right out of there is, is fantastic. It's helping them. It's helping you. It's helping other businesses. I mean, it's like you said, it's kind of helping everyone in the community and uh, it's giving people a good job. So that's, that's a great tip. I know you did. Yeah. I was going to say, as you do that, you know, get to know the instructors because they'll be your best yeah. source of information because they're, yeah. they're six, eight hours a day with these, with these students. They can tell you who's worth hiring, who it. And yeah. you can know that instructor, take them to lunch, whatever. They'll, they'll point you towards some good people. And keep this, there are state and national programs that help offset some of this training cost. Um, there's a national apprenticeship program that's usually administered, it's administered at state level, usually through tech schools, community colleges. If you've got just a rough game plan and, and the different states have got different levels of requirement, but like to train somebody to be a CNC operator or to be a polisher or whatever, if you can just put down the basic requirements and a rough timeline, okay, hand polishing, it's going to take four weeks. These are the basic things, you know, we're going to do marble here for a couple of days. We're going to do quartzite for a few days. We're going to do quartz, granite, whatever. We'll do uh, mitered seams on, a, on, on centered stone will be like our, yeah. our last, you know, the kind of advanced level. And I expect it to take four to six weeks. Here's how we'll evaluate success. And these apprenticeship programs many times will pay for half of the cost of the wages while this person's going through this program in your plant producing product. Wow. And there are other state, you know, incumbent worker training programs, things like that that are out there to help offset some of these costs. You know, you really don't start, have to go look for that and start to plug into it because there's some resources that can help you. Yeah, no, for sure. That's that's great information. I know you mentioned you have the article on your website, so we'll link that in the show notes so people can can learn a little bit more about this. I know, especially about those uh, the state department information that you just had. Uh, that's that's great info. So what about kind of to wrap this all up, you know, I know you have some great subject suggestions and tips to help um, fab shops, you know, get the best use out of their current employees. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, uh, where I got this from is uh, my dad was raised on a farm during the depression. 
Okay. And growing up, he used to always tell me, he said, son, it's not what you've got that counts. It's what you do with what you've got that counts. You know, it's kind of like the, the classic uh, MBA working at Starbucks or bagging groceries kind of thing. You know, you don't yeah. see that as much today, but we have in the past a lot. And so it's all right. You've got people now. You've got machines now. That represents your capacity that you're paying for to go do work and make countertops for, for customers. Um, and so the question is, how well are we utilizing the, the resources that we have, the capacity that we have? There's a, a key uh, concept from the lean manufacturing body of knowledge. Lean Six Sigma folks have probably heard about. And that, that, that uh, concept is called value added, which is looked at from the customer's perspective. And it's the physical transformation of the raw material into something that the customer's willing to pay for. It's kind of the general definition. So process steps like sawing, water jet, CNC routing, hand polish, install, those are value added process steps. Where this gets to be interesting and where you can start to apply it is if you look at, say, the sawing operation, let's say you've got a bridge saw. Um, the only, you know, the, the operation of sawing is, is value added, but everything that happens at that station is not value added activity. Specifically, when that blade is in the stone, cutting stone, that's value added. Mm -hmm. Everything else is non-value added. Customer pays you to cut that stone. They don't care how long it takes you to load and unload it. They don't care how long it takes you to clean off the table. They don't care how long it takes you to load the program or the program machine or anything else that's out there. All that's non-value added. So if you go take some time, if you think about it, if you've got an eight-hour shift, for example, you're paying for that employee and that saw. Go sometimes, if you've got a video of, of your shop, you can go fast forward and look through it or just stand there and watch. And how many hours out of that eight is that blade in that stone? Mm. That's your value added you're getting paid for. You're paying for all the other time that it's not in the stone, but it's not generating work that you can bill for. It's not generating more countertops that you can produce and sell. And so looking at how do you load and unload a little quicker, still be safe, still have good quality. Yeah. How do you wash that table off differently? Yeah, you got to hose it down, but is there a different way to, to do that that's quicker? Higher pressure, more flow, set up PVC pipe nozzles and a manifold and a valve, you know, something, look at those differently. Stop and, and look at, think about all the times that your operator has to stop what they're doing and go ask somebody a question about an order because the temperature, because the sink wasn't on site and nobody's followed up to get the right, you know, the DXF for the sink or uh, the, the, what's on the paperwork, you know, a lot of people are, you know, we're using more computers these days, but even then the information sometimes is not clear about what's supposed to be done. Yeah. And so ask your people about those types of things and start working on your front office processes and looking at how they're impacting the amount of value added work getting done in your shop. And so you can look at all your process steps from that perspective. And, and I've got another article on the site, you know, is how to free up, you know, 10% of the capacity you're already paying for. Um, you go apply this rigorously through your plant and you can get 10% more square footage out of your shop every day if you just spend a little time talking to your folks and making a few simple changes in your shop. Yeah, no, that's great information. How, how do you suggest on even like starting that? Because, I mean, you can't look at every position and and uh, improve it or, or you, know, um, you know, like where's a good starting point like? maybe month one, you, you look at position A or something like that? Um, the short answer is, it's kind of like the Nike slogan, just do it. 
Okay. Know, get out there and pick one. Yeah. Uh, I will tell you from experience, having done this for a number of years in, in a few dozen shops, um, the single biggest impact on how much value added you do in your production shop has to do with your information flow to the shop. Okay. You know, making sure that before you schedule that job, you've got all the details decided. Everything's documented. That temper when they go out, um, they should be they should be patterning the cabinets and they should be confirming job details. If they've got to find out what kind of sinks being used, or they've got to figure out the cooktop, and you know they got to start chasing those details down, you've not done a good enough job up ahead of template. Okay. To set the template up for success, think in terms of your internal customer. You know, the, your final process step is install. So the the whole one of the main purposes of fabrication is not just to make the top; they're also there to set the installer up for success. Because the more successful that installer is going to be, the happier that customer is going to be. Well, the same is true for template. Template's job is to set fabrication up for success. Okay. Your customer service yeah. and your scheduler is setting the template up for success. Yep. So a good first step is getting that mindset. And then just, I would just start at your cutting operation, whether it's a saw or a robo saw or a water jet, um, you know, go out there and, and start at that process step and work your way through. One big key is to get your folks involved, ask them some of these questions. Hey, I want to, let's, let's focus on how we can increase the amount of time every day that the saw is in stone, the saw blades in stone. What are the things to keep that from happening? Okay, you got any thoughts on how we can reduce the amount of time to do some of this other stuff? And then just listen. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's great advice. It's, it's, uh, within my own company, it's, it's, you know, talking to, we actually, we, we interviewed Paul from Upstate Granite Solutions and he, he had a great tip uh, about, you know, I think every week, uh, you'd have to go back and listen to the episode, but I think it was every week that they have their meeting and they, you know, each employee says something good, something bad, and they kind of give like input, their input of, of what's going good and what's going bad. And you don't find out better information from the people actually doing the job. So I think that's great uh, to, you know, talk to your employees. Like I said, with my own company, I'm really trying to do that more. Talk to the employees, see what's, seeing what's easy for them, what's not, just getting their input, getting their feedback, because a lot of times people might do something, they might be mad about it, but they're not actually going to talk about it. So, you know, being proactive and, and talking to them is the first way to really figure out some of the issues that you're having. So, Absolutely. I can still remember walking into a manufacturing plant early in my career as a, I was walking in as a manufacturing engineer and there were people, I was in my early thirties, there were people working in that plant who had worked there longer than I had been alive. Yeah. You know, there's, there's no way I know yeah. close to what they know. And I certainly will never know more than they do about those jobs. They can tell you about from how the machine sounds, how it smelled. They could tell you when they walked in the door, what kind of day it was going to be because they had that much experience. And yeah, yeah those, those folks doing the job know, certainly know more than, than all the rest of us do, no matter how much we think we know. Um, I think it's important how you ask those questions. You know, if, if uh, it's, it's real easy to walk out and look for things that are being done wrong and say, well, so, so why did we do that wrong? Or how do we make that mistake? You know, thinking we're asking the right question. I found it's really helpful if you can look at a situation and say, you know, Bob, looks like it's really tough to get that right every time. What's the biggest obstacle that keeps us from doing that? 
and yeah. then just shut up and listen. Yeah. Uh, you know, God gave us two ears and one mouth, and it wasn't just for stereo. I think it was a hint. You know, <laughs> yeah. listen twice as much as you speak uh, as we sit here running our mouths. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think it's important how you ask those questions, and, and certainly the folks doing the job really know it. And if they don't, you got a training opportunity. And I think putting together training programs and learning how to grow your people, not just uh, as people, but uh, technically as employees, I think is going to be something else we have to get into as part of this, you know, how do we recruit labor and how do we retain labor? Uh, it's it's fairly fairly well understood under from HR folks that the people that you hire are more likely to stay if you can help them have success very early in their tenure. The sooner they can start feeling like they're comfortable, they're adding value, they know what's going on, they're not scared to do something wrong, the sooner you can get them to that place, the more likely they are to stay. A lot of people leave places because they walk in and they're overwhelmed. Yeah. And it's here. Follow this guy around and do what he does. That's not a training program, guys. Yeah. It's got to be much more intentional. It's got to have a little more structure. Doesn't need the same structure as Ford or GM, but there's got to have some structure to it. Yeah. Yeah. Good information. No, that's those are good, some good tips. So thanks. Thanks so much for being on the show, Ed. You uh, like I said, we will link the article to your website in the show notes so you can check that out. Um, you can check out Ed Young Services at fabricatorscoach.com. And we'll be doing some future shows with Ed. He's got a ton of information and I really appreciate appreciate you being on the show today. <laughs> well, I appreciate you having me. It's a, again, it's an honor to be here. And, and I just hope what we've talked about is helpful to folks that are listening because that's what it's all about. Yeah, for sure. No, definitely. This is uh, it's gonna be a great episode. So yeah, please come back and we'll uh, we'll do some more. Anytime. Appreciate it. Sounds good. And if you are looking to grow the retail side of your countertop business outside of word of mouth and referrals, then check out our website at countertopmarketingcode.com to book a call with me and we will see you on the next show. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Countertop Success Podcast and make sure you head over and subscribe to us on YouTube, Apple iTunes, Spotify, and all the other major podcast platforms. Now, if you're looking to grow the retail side of your countertop business outside of word of mouth and referrals, then go over to our website at countertopmarketingcode.com and book a free strategy call with me. Also, when you're on our site, check out our free training section and you'll find a ton of helpful resources that you can use to help grow your countertop business. Again, thanks so much for listening and I'll see you on the next show.